podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Hello, welcome to Chelsea Hour. My name is Meads and I'll be your host for this one. I'm joined today by Timpson. How you doing, bro? I'm good, thank you for having me. Good to be on with you. Okay, so there's quite a few things to discuss this week. As you know, Chelsea, forever busy in the window, forever busy as a club in general. Um, but I kind of want to start with Tyler Adams. So Chelsea have agreed to pay the release clause of £20 million for Tyler Adams from Leeds. Um, it's kind of come out of left field. Um, what are your thoughts about it? And Because I think, obviously, Chelsea are still hunting down Caicedo and potentially looking at Lavia too. So I don't, I don't really know what the idea is, but maybe you can kind of shed some light, Timson. Yeah, sure. So I th- believe the term that I used in the group chat was interstitial stopgap um, whilst we work on Caicedo, which is exactly what this is. It is somebody who can play the role, um, who doesn't alter the plans because they're coming at a reasonable or minimal minimal fee. So um, they're not interrupting or disrupting the grand scheme of things, whether it be Caicedo negotiations in terms of funding and um, the players' willingness to come to the side or um, potential pathways for young players. My only issue, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is um, what was said when Fabrizio Romano posted it. So there was two pretty well-known accounts um, that are youth-focused commenting under Fabrizio's account that said, um, surely Ethan Ampadu could have done this job uh, or done a decent job. And um, another one of these um, youth-focused accounts said, well, he's not new and shiny. And to be honest, I'm kind of getting similar. Um, I'm, I'm kind of having um, similar views in regards to Ethan Ampadu. So when we let Ethan go, I thought, since we don't have Caicedo in, what is the harm in getting um, Ethan Ampadu involved in pre-season, giving him an opportunity to show what he can do as, at the very least, a backup as the only willing or natural defensive-minded midfielder and defender in that that group, and then just um, kind of allowing Pochettino to have this person in Ampadu as a basis for his um, tactics with um, a true DM 
um, going forward. So at the very least, the rest of the team could get comfortable and say, this is what will be expected of our defensive midfielder. And in com um, in correlation to that, this is what we're expected to do. Um, so I'm just kind of like, yeah, this doesn't, I, I haven't seen anything of Tyler Adams, um, whether it be in the Premier League or in Germany, um, or for the US national team to say this guy is head and shoulders above Ampadu. If anything, it's the opposite. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, why Tyler Adams um, and why, what, what, what has he got that um, an Ethan Ampadu or someone else um, currently on the books couldn't have done in regards to this stopgap? Because I was also of the opinion um, since we signed Axel Disassi, what's wrong with using Chalabar as a defensive midfielder in the meantime? Yeah, I, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's strange for me because um, I think Tyler Adams as a profile, um, I, I, I can't say he is... I mean, he's quite similar to Ampadu. Um, so I, for that one, it just, it does baffle me. Um, I don't know if that was a decision made by the club rather than Pochettino. Um, because this doesn't really feel like a Pochettino type signing. I think Pochettino may, may have just okayed it, but you know, I think Poch kind of wants his guy, which is Caicedo, and I think that's pretty clear. Um, I, I'm just, it is a bit baffling for me. I, I am trying to see the rationale. Uh, I don't try and just react based on what I'm feeling. I try and understand the plan. Um, but this one just doesn't quite make sense to me. And you know me, I'm not really a big fan of having squad play or buying squad players that we can already get from our academy um i think for example lewis hall could play at the base in midfield um does so for chelsea's academy but he's still only 18 so i mean i can understand and he's going out alone to paris to get some premier league experience but i just feel like you know the ampadu one does does throw me off you know, I think even with the Loftus cheek, for example, and I know he's not a traditional six, he's definitely a, a box to box eight um midfielder that can play in the double pivot. But again, he's played in the pivot for Chelsea. Um he is experienced. I just don't know how much sense it makes to get Tyler Adams in. Um like I, I guess I could see where you're coming from in terms of him being a stopgap. But I just, I, I just don't know if it was necessary to add another body, considering we have Andre Santos as well, um, Ugo Chukwu who's come in. Um, I just, maybe Tyler Adams might be better than that. He might be. I I can't envision him being better than Santos. I mean, Santos for sure will need a couple of a year or so in the league to get familiar. But I think a year with Santos, you're going to get a very good player by the end of that year. Um, and I just. I just don't see the need for for Tyler Adams. I feel like I kind of felt similarly to when we bought Drinkwater all those years ago and um, he just stayed on our books for God knows how long. Um, and that's not to say Tyler Adams is not a capable player. I don't think Drinkwater. I think Drinkwater was also a capable player, but I just don't know how it kind of plays out and how it makes sense. Um but he is a, he's not a bad player. He's not terrible. I think he's got quality. I think he's combative. He likes to tackle. He likes to recover the ball. And I think his use of the ball is pretty decent too. So he might actually turn out to be a, a pretty good buy. But I just don't quite understand the planning. Because again, we've put Cassidy out on loan. Um, 
Andre Santos is obviously probably going to stick around. You've got Ugo Chukwu who might go out on loan. But what happens when these players come out, come back? I think Chelsea also need to kind of figure out what they're really planning to do with Conor Gallagher. Because if you're going after Caicedo, you get an Adams and you're also looking to get Lavia because Chelsea did make a £48 million bid for Lavia. I'm just trying to really gauge what, what's really happening in there. It's um it's a little bit of a mess. But what what do you think that Chelsea should really do? Um, because again, I, I do kind of get your point in regards to um, yeah, in, in regards to the Ampadu situation. But he's obviously gone now. Um, what what do you think about the midfield situation now? Because the way it's being constructed, I, I'm just still not quite sure. You know. Yeah, what I would like Chelsea to do, and what I would like, what I've wanted them to do for several years now in the grand scheme of things, is just be more open to using what they have at their disposal first before looking to the market. So I said this example last season, give Lewis Hall uh, minutes as the number two left back and he gets a lot of first team minutes as the backup to Ben Chilwell and we then don't have 60 million um, spent on Kukurea, so he has priority minutes over someone who's had a really good season, a championship winning season um, in Ian Martin this season. Because then you have um, a young left back who you then have, you, you future planned and you have an opportunity to go, okay, show what you can do, compete with Ben Chilwell directly. You don't have um, one left back worth 60 million and another left back worth 40 million ahead of you on top of um, Lewis Hall, albeit Lewis wants to play as a central midfielder and he's um, all but confirmed to go out on loan. What I just, um, and just with the wider squad, obviously, like I said, um, Ampadu is gone. And I just thought to myself, yeah, why not we take this opportunity? We have, in terms of defenders who will contribute in terms of centre-backs, obviously Colwell and um, Badia Shield will, will fight it out for that left-hand spot. Um, you have Thiago Silva and Disassi now, um, with Fafana pretty much all but out, all but out now after ACL reconstruction. You still have a fifth centre back in Chalabar, but he spent the last three years. He spent three years away from Chelsea, playing um, as a central midfielder. So Thomas Tuchel has actually used in, used him for Chelsea at centre midfield. What's the issue with? him stepping in and deputising because he's not going to say no to you have an opportunity to gain substantial minutes this season in a season where you weren't going to get many minutes prior to the Fofana injury and obviously the signing of Disassi. Also, you, you're then not wedded to a player that like Tyler Adams because at the end of the day, there is a fee and you now need to kind of do some you need to look at his wages and his um, book and his fee from uh, an amortisation perspective going forward, as opposed to Shalabar. You know what you've got with Shalabar and any sell, even though I don't want him to leave. If you if you were to move him on when you do get the Caicedos or the Lavias of the world, it doesn't really disrupt the squad balance overall because this was a player who was um, seemingly surplus, but you've repurposed him and he's he's not he, he's not only found um, a new purpose, he's also been able to add value. So just what I would like to see is probably from this point on, I would still want to see 
um, Tyler Adams, given his opportunity, because that's all but done. But I'd also be willing to see um, Chalaba step into deputise as, as a true defensive midfielder, because outside of Tyler Adams, nobody else in that squad actually wants to shield the back four and defend um, outside of Chalaba, because I know Andre Santos can do it, but if you ask Andre Santos, he'll probably say, I'd like to be next to a sitting midfielder so I can impact the game on both sides of the ball as a box-to-box number eight. So obviously I've seen a lot of a lot more talk um, since the Nkunku injury of Chelsea revert into a 4-3-3. And with the personnel that we have to hand, I think it suits a lot of them. Um, but you need to have that willing um, sitting midfielder, which uh, we now have with Tyler Adams. But injuries we know Chelsea and injuries so I would just like them to consider all the assets available at this disposal before dipping into the market so um so quickly especially when it's a stopgap signing yeah I'm just it does confuse me um to be honest now I did hope that you know with with you know the departure of Roman Marina um Czech you know the, the old establishment I think I did kind of hope that, not that the clear out would happen, but I just hoped that we'd refine our squad a bit more. But it just seems like these guys are probably ultimate extremists and they they want to hoard talent more so than Roman ever did, which I find incredible. Um, it's just, and these aren't like lone army type signings. You know when Chelsea used to, to buy players and, you know, they're immediately going out on low. They're not even getting a sniff of the squad. And that was like a way for Chelsea to generate income and money. This just feels like you're buying first team, not quality, but you're buying, yeah, first team level uh, potential squad players. And then they're just there. And we don't really have a real plan as to what we're doing with them. I mean, even like, for example, the Igor Chukwu one, I like that signing, but you have no real clear idea where he's going. Obviously, Angelo has gone on, on loan to Strasbourg, which is which is fine. I think that was really the intention, considering they they scouted him. Um, but I just just some of these other signings, I'm just I'm really trying to get my head around it. Um, the Ugo Chupu one is one that I'm not that I'm concerned about. I, I, I like him. I think he's a good player. I think he could stay around. But what is the actual planning? Is he going to Strasbourg? Is Adams going to Strasbourg? It sounds far fetched, but we don't actually know what we're doing. Um, well, for us as the fans, anyway, us as fans don't exactly know what what's going on. Um, but it's fine as long as for me, I'm not really going to complain as long as like you know, Poch gets his his squad trimmed down. One, two, as long as Poch and Co know what they're doing, um, it's fine by me. But it it is a little bit of a head scratcher, and for someone that's trying to kind of see the positives of the window and trying to see where we could potentially end up in the season. It's kind of hard to really gauge given um, this kind of business. But um, as you spoke about injuries, um, unfortunately... Sorry, let me just um, jump in and just ask you about Strasbourg as well. Yeah, Um, We finally got this um, satellite club, this um, finishing school to send players. We sent Angelo's there where looking to send David Washington there if he does go, if we do sign him ahead of Monaco, we're also linked to sending Leslie Ubuchuku there. My thing is this, it shouldn't be 
that like Strasbourg is essentially the final stop. It is the um, Red Bull Salzburg. So before you, it is the last step before you are essentially ready for first team football at the level um, similar to Chelsea or at Chelsea specifically. And we're signing a lot of youngsters, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds. And the way we're just throwing them all to Strasbourg at the minute, uh, not all of them will be re will be ready to play um, league on football, uh, even after um, a couple of seasons. So I'm just kind of thinking, as well, it just I, I agree with what you said in regards to what are we doing? Is there a plan? Because there is a clear kind of pathway with the Red Bull model. They have. I still think we need um, a, a feeder club in Portugal. Um, or maybe even a Germany or a, um, a second division German side um, or a team like Belgium, just so players who aren't quite at the level of Strasbourg, because I don't think every player we sign will hit the ground running and do um, big things for Strasbourg straight away. Um, some players might struggle. And I don't think our pathway in regards to the satellite club especially the way we're trying to grab every youngster going like we're collecting infinity stones is the best approach especially since they're the way the first the ownership is falling over foreign talents and the impact it's having on um, academy talents as well because they're now kind of seen as second class citizens in regards to promising youth um, so just what's your um, thoughts on um, the kind of usage of Strasbourg at the moment, the way it's seemingly being um, foreign acquisitions of young players are seemingly being um, prioritised. I just wanted to get your general thoughts on it. I mean, you know, for me, the satellite club idea, I think it poses, it, it gives a lot more questions and answers for me um, because Again, like you said, it's a potential finishing school, but you're already creating a, an environment where the player ultimately feels like he is lesser than because he's going to this finishing school. Um, so he's already going to have a mentality or potentially may already have a mentality that he may not ever be considered good enough for Chelsea. You know, no matter how much or how well you perform, once you're a player that like is going on frequent loans to this finishing school, it could psychologically impact you. Um, I'm not saying that you know Angelo wasn't already briefed on the idea prior to to coming to Chelsea, but I feel where you feel that some players think that they can be good enough, but they're never really given that opportunity. I think there is um there's a potential breakdown that can occur. Now, obviously, Levi Colwell was a prime example for me. So Levi Colwell went to Brighton. You know, Tuchel wasn't really giving him a look in simply because he had this idea in his mind that he's not ready, period. You know, rather than assessing him and giving him fair, fair judgment, he was already subjecting him to, yeah, you're not ready, it's fine. We're going to get someone else. We're going to go get Fadio. We're going to get, you know what I mean? So we'll link with all these high-profile um, defenders in a, in his position. And Colwell's feeling super disillusioned because he's thinking, well, hold on a second. Like, I've been at the club since I was six. I'm at a level where I think I can play. I went on a really good loan. Now you're telling me that, no, I'm not ready yet. I have to go on, another, I have to go on loan. So that causes disillusionment. 
Um, now, that's not to say that players like Angelo or Washington may feel that, but I think it, you run the risk of when you're allowing other teams, other clubs to develop your players, that's the risk you run, you know? Um, so that's what I'm saying. It, it poses quite a lot of questions for me to see if it's a real a process and a structure that players feel that, okay, you know what, this pathway, if it's not with the academy and it's on loan at Strasbourg, fine. But it, I need to kind of gauge how it's really sold to these players and really understand if it works. Because for now, it, again, uh, it's so many unanswered questions for me um, because it's brand new. So I need to kind of see how it works. I'm not going to write it off and rubbish it, but it's just, again, me just having to get an understanding of how it kind of works in practice because um, it is interesting. I mean, I do like how open and how um, the communications and the you know the, the press in terms of Strasbourg and how they've been quite open and transparent with like the deals and the loan deal um, with Angelo. It, it has been quite nice. And obviously they're making him feel quite welcome, which is, is good. But yeah, man, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if Strasbourg actually become... Uh, uh, an actual Leipzig rather than you know one of those teams in France that can actually start competing for the league it's going to be interesting because if that is the case then again you can cause problems if you're going to try and keep them a relatively mid you know to okay league on team fine but if they're trying to push on and you know they want to be ambitious and try and fight at the top of the league then it could pose some problems if you know what I mean so that one we're going to have to wait and see man we're going to have to wait and see um but anyway, just wanted to get back to Nkunku. Obviously, he's um, he had a, an injury in the final preseason game against Dortmund after about 15 minutes. Um, it's been confirmed that he has had minor surgery, um, and that's going to keep him out for up to two months. Bit frustrating, in fact, very frustrating for me. Um, what what are your thoughts, Timson, about? you know, that injury and how that could potentially affect us because he, he did look quite sharp over the last couple of games of pre-season. Chelsea just can't catch a break. I thought to myself, these injuries that we get are behind us or then it happened to Fofana. Then I thought, you know what, he's had priors and Nkunku has also had priors, but not at Chelsea. So it's a blow because he is our marquee signing of the summer he is someone that I felt in the preseason games would have a really big impact in our attack he's someone who looked confident and looked very very natural uh, playing the style of football that Pochettino is looking to implement so to lose him for essentially where in August now essentially He's out for four months, but he won't be back um, in four months ready to play. So he'll essentially need to get into training and start playing under 23 games. So really and truly, we won't be seeing in Kunku until 2024, which is very scary. Is it that long though? I swear it's a two month. It's two months? Four months. Really? Four months. Jesus. Four months. Four months. Four months till you can get back into training, and then you're doing a mini preseason, playing PL two games, and slowly ramping up your minutes with the first team. So you're not looking, you're not seeing the Nkunku that you saw in preseason until about 2024. 
Damn, I didn't know it was um four months. I thought it was um raw. I actually thought it was two. Nah. I'm surprised. Very, very surprised. That's a shame. That's a big blow. Yep, 16 weeks. That's, so, that's a yeah. big, big blow. Yeah, your voice and your touch, your reaction and like your to hearing it's four months says it all really. This is so, and it just mirrors how I feel in terms of it's a massive blow. And now we're one Nicholas Jackson injury away from thinking what is going on now and yeah. then has a knock-on impact on what are we going to do with Amanda Brozier because he's on his way into form and this could be um, a gift or a curse depending on um, the plans that they had for him because he could have been on the verge of going out on loan to get guaranteed regular minutes but now he could potentially get rotational minutes which isn't a bad thing whilst Nkunku is recovering. So this now has an impact on someone like Amanda Broja because now we're quite light in the, in, in the centre-forward area. Mm. Yeah, OK, that 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 has definitely changed my... Um, like, I didn't think... Personally, I'm, I'm still quite content, quietly content on a 10. Um, obviously, we're linked with Elise still and with Shirky, in less so Shirky, but more so Elise. Um that is concerning um, because, again, knee injuries, they do take a while to kind of get back up to speed. Um, I don't know if it was the same knee injury that he got at Leipzig in, at World Cup, on World Cup International Juicy. So, ooh, that's, that's not really not good. That is really, really unfortunate. Um, four, yeah, four to five months. And I, I have no idea why I thought it was two. I, 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 <laughs> I was probably being super optimistic, but Four months is wild. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you're going to miss a big chunk of the, te- of the season. Um, oh, that's a big shame. That's a big, big shame. I really do think that Chelsea need to, I won't say dip into the market, but they need to be a little bit tactical and tactful with their um, approach for the rest of the window. I don't know when the window actually closes, though. Is it the end of September or is it end of, uh, end of August? I'm not 100% sure. I'm not entirely sure, but it's just um, I do want the window to close quite quickly because I want Chelsea to kind of get their business done. Um, Let's just have a look. Yeah, it closes on the 1st. Okay. So, I mean, Chelsea has still got some time to get the Caicedo situation resolved. I think they're probably working overtime to get that one over the line because it's been like a it has been a saga, which is not something that I really particularly enjoy, but I think, you know, if we want to get Caicedo over the line, I think they might start looking and assessing whether we need to get another striker in. Because I do think maybe now, like, now I'm thinking about it, I mean, the Vlavic thing doesn't seem too bad. You know, if you sell, if you sell Lukaku and get Vlavic in, it kind of makes up for the loss of Nkunku. Um, and in general, I think having two strikers or three strikers, um, three strikers for me is overkill. I think if Broya sticks around, then I think Broya and Jackson's fine by me. Um, because who's to say, when we talk about experienced strikers, experienced goal getters, Vlavic is still relatively young, which is one. Two, you know, there's no guarantee he hits a strap straight away in the Prem. Um, so you might as well take a chance with Jackson 
and Broya. I'd, I'd probably be more comfortable in doing that. And there was no point in giving Broya a new six-year deal if, you know, you're going to go sign a, a Vlavic for no reason, you know? So, oh, that, that Nkunku injury has shocked me. It really has shocked me. Um, it, now, it, it, in terms of building the squad and building the team, you need to factor things in like, like that injury. Um, oh man, it's a mess. But in terms of, I guess, what you want to see for the remainder of the transfer window, um, what are you looking at? What, you, what do you think Chelsea really should be looking at and focusing on? Two things. It's probably the secondary and the least important of the two things I'm about to mention is clarification on the goalkeeper scenario. For all the years that we've had Kepa, getting any money from him in terms of transfer fee has been less of an issue than people realise, even though he's been in really bad form um, throughout the his contract duration. But the biggest stumbling block is his wages because Chelsea in the Abramovich era decided to give him such astronomical wages. We priced out the majority of teams and Chelsea is a team that's too prideful to say, we will pay you to go. We will pay part of your salary to play to play against us potentially, depending on where you go. I so, mean, I, I would agree and disagree simply because Chelsea did that for Lukaku. So I don't think they're too prideful. I think Chelsea would generally do that if, and they did it for um, who else did they do it for? Torres to Atletico. So I think Chelsea would do it. Um, I just think that they felt it was too soon for Kepa. You know, I think that was the idea. Like after a year or so. I think after that, so he had the sorry season, then he had the Lampard season. And that's when the talk started happening. Then we got Mendy in. So that's when the talk started happening in terms of like, okay, let's get rid of Kepa. But the wages, like you said, were astronomical. Um, God, 175k a week plus bonuses. So yeah, you want some mad money. Um, but I do think Chelsea would have been happy to pay or cover half or a portion of the wages. But I just also think that they felt too inclined not to give up on him too soon, basically. Yeah, like I said, if it was the Abramovich era um, in the, the season after Lukaku signed, he probably would have stayed. He probably would have, because Czech and um, Marina were inclined to say, do you know what, stick it out for another season. But... Bowley listened to Tuchel who, when the before the relationship soured between those two, and said, "You want him gone? Fine. We'll adhere to your recommendations and we'll give you what you want." Now it's just so clarification on the goalkeeper setting because I think long term our long term goalkeeper will be Slanina. You can agree or disagree. I just feel like he's being earmarked to be that guy that finally replaces the Courtois-shaped hole because we haven't had a goalkeeper who's been a net positive um, in some time for a consistent basis. Obviously, Mendy's had spells. Even Kepa's had small small moments before in, in his first season. But um, I believe in Slanina being that guy. But also, we've given Robert Sanchez a six or seven-year deal. So you don't give that to a player if you're not expecting them to play a part in your mid in your medium to long term future so clarification on what's going to happen with the goalkeeper including Kepa is 
what I think should be um, secondary priority. And then um, the first and foremost priority should be securing the defensive midfield targets and just clarifying this is this is your holder. I think we've struggled with holding midfield or there's been question marks around holding midfield for several seasons now. We've clearly identified the person that we want. I would just like us to stop playing this transfer kiss chase with we're going to bid two million short of the valuation for Lavia. Liverpool are going to bid a bit more than us for Caicedo. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, it's a bit like Freaky Friday. You bid for my player, I bid for your player. It's it's giving childish. Or... Yeah, it's, it's a bit it's a bit bummy. Like, I, I I mean, I understand the need and necessity to you know negotiate, but you, you you've experienced your situation with Brighton before. Um, I I just I really am struggling to understand the the benefit as to of doing it. You know what I mean? I'm really struggling, but at the same time. It's business. You're trying to negotiate. I, I get it, but I feel like you're, you've kind of like you've made it difficult for the manager in terms of trying to build out the squad and build out what he wants, and also getting familiar um, with, with his surroundings um, and also have a preseason. I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of getting your business done early. Big big fan, um, but. Uh, it is what it is, man. It is what it is. I, I, I think in doing it this way, I think you, you kind of make it harder for for the player and the manager. But it is what it is, you know. I think I think Bowley. I think if Bowley was in charge of negotiations, I think this would have been done a lot sooner. Um, but it is what it is. He's left it to his guys. I've asked for him to step back, so you get the you get the positive and negative with that. You know what I mean? So I'm fine. You know, I'm I'm not in too much of a rush, but I agree that it needs to be finalised pretty soon because, you know, we play Liverpool on Sunday. You know, it's, <laughs> we need to get that situation sorted because we don't want to be coming into the midfield, coming to the season against Liverpool feeling very, very short. Um, and I feel like at this moment in time, we do feel quite short in midfield, despite the oh. fact we've got Ubertu crew. If we have him, are we going to keep him? You know what I mean? So it's just that midfield needs to be sorted out. That's a priority for me. It needs to be sorted out with haste. Um, but yeah, um, I, I also, you know, speaking of change and change of arm and change, change of the guard, um, let's talk about Reese James. Officially been announced as Chelsea captain with Ben Chilwell um, being announced as um, vice captain. Um couple of words on on Reese and whether you think it's a good idea or not um because he's still only 23 still got a lot to learn but he's achieved so much in the game already um what are your thoughts on Reese being announced as captain very pleased for Reese very happy for him and I think it's deserved he had the minerals to stand up to sit in a press conference right next to Pochettino when asked do you want to be captain and said yes of course I want to be captain right next to the guy who's making the decision he's not shying away from it he's not uh, I would like to have given the opportunity no he said what he wants and this is it he's been very public about his passion and desire for the club and being irritated by people who weren't really who were a bit wishy-washy and eventually made their departures this summer so 
he's very much Chelsea through and through. And it says a lot for this captain being an academy player. It's very nice to see pictures and um, creatives of him side by side with John Terry and obviously an, um, an academy prospect wearing the armband for the long term, not just for a game or two like we've seen other academy players do before um, being moved on or just regular programming. Obviously, there were people, the only people say his youth it might be a concern, but it is a very, very young squad in general. And I believe Reese is someone who commands the utmost respect within that squad, that young squad. But he's got the mentality of someone who is groomed for Chelsea. So he's grown up coming through that academy, knowing that you have to win every game it is expected of you. You have to win trophies. You have to deliver week in and week out. He's gone on loan to Wigan and commanded respect and told other players. And he said it on other podcasts. He said... I have no issues telling older players when they're making mistakes or when they need to fix up because it just needs to be done. So this is a man who will get it done and will do what's necessary um, mm-hmm. as a Chelsea captain. So um really happy with Reese. And honestly, the only thing that people have, I have legitimate concerns about, well, not so much now, is probably obviously just can he stay fit? Um, yeah. And that's what we'll see this season. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, that's my only hope and prayer, really. I think with, with Reese, I, I, I really just hope he can just stay fully fit, you know, see out at least 90% of the games for Chelsea. Um, and I think, obviously, the fact that we're playing only one game a week actually may benefit him because it, the, the lack of game accumulation may actually be helpful towards him. Um, and over time, that can help him build up his fitness um, because injuries have been a concern for him. Um, I, I I don't think he's actually comp- other than Wigan I don't think he's completed a full season and I think even Wigan he had a couple of nibbles so yeah him him staying fit would be awesome but I definitely agree with you in terms of like people talking about his age I mean at 23 it is young yes but it's it, um, he definitely has the minerals I think I, I, I earmarked him for captain when he was 19 um, and I just saw him and I, the way he, not even the fact, because he is quite shy and timid in the way he speaks like in the press conferences, but I think there was a, a moment where um, we just weren't performing and Reese was one of the players who came out and just said it ain't good enough. And I just appreciate a player that can take accountability and take responsibility. Um, and yeah, he's always kind of had that. You know, he's been captain of um, every youth at every level at Chelsea, um, which is really, really impressive for me. So it felt like the natural fit. Um, but I did also think Thiago Silva could potentially be the captain for one more season. But again, I think Chelsea right now are looking to the future. And why appoint Thiago for one season if this is going to be his final season? So I get it. Um, I, I really do hope that the rest of the boys rally around him. I think they are. I think they do. I think Thiago Silva may be slightly disappointed, but again, that's expected. You know, he's a winner. He is a leader. So I, I do see, you know, Thiago being a little bit upset, but Thiago Silva is a, a consummate professional, you know, ultimate pro. So I don't think he's going to, it's going to impact him too much. Um, I think he'll probably like, you know, give it his blessing that, you know, Reese is a deserving captain. I do think he is deserving. Um, it, it's just going to be interesting. As you said, it is a young squad. 
So it's going to be interesting to see these guys all grow together. And, you know, Reese is going to be at the head of that, you know. And rightfully so. I think Reese is should be the face of the club because he is one of our few world-class players. Um, and I, I honestly think, yeah, leadership qualities, he has it in abundance. So I'm, I'm not too worried about the role coming too soon for him. Um, yeah, I, I back him to succeed fully. Um, in terms of Ben Shilwell being a vice, interesting one really because I didn't really have him as a leader. But, you know, the, the PR that came out saying that, you know, you know, he, he does act as a bit of a leader for the rest of the squad. It was interesting. Um, and I guess that's a bit fair enough. Um, and I, I guess I, I, it kind of makes sense in the sense that if Thiago Silva was in the running, I think he was in the running for the main captaincy. So him being demoted to vice captaincy, I don't know if that would have been quite, you know, the right move or the right message. Because if the message is you're trying to plan towards the future, but you're making Thiago Silva vice captain. I don't know how that kind of works. So it, it makes sense, you know. But yeah, again, I'm really happy for Reese. Also happy for Chilwell. I mean, I don't know performance wise whether he kind of deserves it, but ultimately, it, it's the decision of Poch and the club, you know. Um, but yeah, that's what I really got to say about that. Um, yeah, really, really happy for Reese. Like, genuinely happy because someone has been watching him since he was about 15, 16. Um, yeah, I, I I can't say that I'm not not happy because it's yes amazing news. Um, but I do want to kind of go back to um, the striker situation because talks have stalled on Vlavic because it seems like Juve have priced him too highly, um, and also Vlavic himself didn't really seem too keen on moving. Um, but where does that leave Lukaku? Because there was like chance from the Juve fans at the last preseason game. You know, they invaded the pitch to just scream that they don't want him, which is insane. It's just mad how Lukaku's managed to do this. Um, like, it seems like everywhere he's gone, he's managed to alienate himself and uh, between himself and the fans. And I thought one place where he felt at home was Inter. And the strangest thing, he made the strange decision to actually leave. And I remember me and um, Sof were talking about, you know, him taking that risk to come back, leaving a place where he really loved. I just, yeah, I don't feel bad for him because I don't think he's the nicest character. But I feel like, how could you make so many bad decisions in your career? It just, it's beyond me. It's actually beyond me. Timson, talk to me about this Lukaku situation because it just, it really is a mess, man. I struggle to think of a player who has managed to completely burn bridges in such a short space of time. He is seeming like the worst person for maintaining connections at clubs. And mind you, I've watched the transfer. I've I've watched the career history of someone like El Haji Juve, who was just a born troublemaker. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah mess. Ugh. And I just cannot believe it. Um, one of my friends is a professional footballer and very talented. And in his younger years, he was at a club that was um, in the championship. Um, kind of mid-table, pushing for 
Premier, um, the Premier League at certain periods in their history whilst he was in the academy. And he had offered from your Arsenals and your other Premier League um, powerhouses, but he never left because he said from early, he said, I know where I, where I am. They dig me, they love me, they appreciate me. So I'm going to stay where I'm appreciated. And my friend then went on to become the third highest goal scorer in um, this club's history, um, which is an, a feat that we're all proud of. But just what he said initially in that, my I, I know they appreciate me, they value me here, so I'm, this is where I'm going to stay because I know, I, I know I'm valued and appreciated here. So honestly, I was um, really, really happy with... Um, I was really, really happy with Lukaku kind of being able to go back to Inter. But then the next stage of him then saying, trying to negotiate a transfer to Juventus, when in my mind and in probably the minds of everybody else, he was doing, he was only looking at Inter, is very scary. It's very, very scary. And not only has he burnt that bridge to the extent that Inter won't even look at him, they had signed Marcus Turam on a free on substantially lower wages, but they still said, Lukaku, we need him. But to hurt a team who he had such a strong bond with, the way he has is absolutely mind-blowing. And now he's in the Chelsea kit, taking pictures with kids, training with three under-18s and a dog. And I'm just thinking, you're Belgium's all-time top goal scorer, and you're here because <laughs> you're here because you have terrible communication skills, and your personality and the things you have said have made yourself toxic. I just so someone, bad. one of my friends have just sent me a clip of one of my friends have just fans running on the pit saying we don't want Lukaku. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I was talking about their last preseason game. They were, they were talking about, they were just screaming, we don't want Lukaku. Insane. Can you imagine? <sighs> I just, I just, it baffles me how he's here. It just baffles me, you know, from looking at that young 16-year-old kid dreaming about playing at Stamford Bridge to, you know, going to Everton, going to West Brom, you know, fulfilling his dream, going to Chelsea, you know, not quite getting the, the break he wanted at 18, going to West Brom, being a proficient goal scorer at West Brom alone, coming back to Chelsea, missing a penalty in a Super Cup, then going, oh, it's just, he's just, oh man, I don't know, going on loan to Everton, having a good loan at Everton. Like his, and then he goes to Everton on a permanent deal. Again, they loved him at Everton. Um, but, you know, he kind of talked his way out of that club and then, you know, Burnt Bridges there, the fans start to hate him. Boom, goes to Manchester United. Cool. Goes to Man United, has a good start, relatively good start. Then, you know, lack of professionalism, weight, gain, everything. Boom, loses weight, but that puts on weight, loses form. Then, oh man, it just falls down a pecking order. Then goes to Inter. Boom, you get your big move to Inter, you'll love that Inter. Why don't you stay, just stay there, bro? If you stay there, none of this mess happens, you know? But the allure of unfinished business to come back to Chelsea and obviously Tuchel talking up a storm about him, he's like, yeah, all right, cool, I'm, I'm down. But ultimately, 
you always stay where you're loved. Don't go elsewhere. That's a life lesson for Lukaku, for anyone. Go to where you're loved. Go to where you're adored. Because when shit hits the fan, they're the ones that sabak you. They're the ones that will stay by you. You know what I mean? When shit hit the fan at Chelsea, it was game over. You know what I mean? Obviously, he played a massive part in that. But I don't imagine if that was Inter Milan, one, he wouldn't do that. And two, I think they'd be, you know, because there was a mutual love there, he wouldn't be hated as much, you know. But personally, I think the reason why he's burnt bridges with Inter is because he wasn't selected in the Champions League final to start. Do do you know how petty that is? Do you know how petty that is? For you to be willing to go to your arch rivals in Juve is just... I just it kind of just shows the kind of man that he is. Um, it's a real shame um, because I, I I really did hope for the bit like when I saw that sixteen year old kid, I really did hope for the best for him. Man, I just it seems like his character's just not the best, and just his decision making is even worse. So it is a real big mess, you know, that we we found ourselves in. I think I, I personally say, uh, you know, that's Tuchel's L, but a lot of people tell me that it's not really Tuchel's L, it's Marina that forced it upon him as if Marina's a scout. But, uh, you know, um, and obviously Harlan was linked with Chelsea in that time, but Harlan wasn't going anywhere. So Tuchel really wanted a striker. And I, I just feel like for me at that point, you know, I don't think that he needed to change too much. I don't think that. Tuchel needed to buy a striker. He could have just kept Havertz as the false nine and let that team kind of develop and grow. But he wanted to change it. He wanted a real nine, which is fine, but it just ultimately has created this massive mess for us as well as Lukaku. And um, obviously right now it looks like his only options is Saudi Arabia. And that is such a mad L for him personally. You know, to, to really isolate yourself so much to the point that other European clubs won't even touch you is insane. Now, obviously, this whole Harry Kane situation to Bayern may be interesting. It might be interesting because if if Harry Kane goes to Bayern, then you know, maybe Tottenham might be on the lookout for a new striker, a new nine, um, yeah. which which could work. You know, I might be happy if 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 Lukaku goes there. Um, get him off our books but pff, that just feels like a long shot it feels like a real long shot um, what you so, said about him what you said about his decision making really stuck with me because <clears throat> obviously he made this decision he was going to leave Chelsea once and for all the first time and really and truly the best time for Lukaku to come back would have been when it was between us and United because Conte was the manager and Conte is the manager to get the best out, the very best out of him. And had he come back to Chelsea, the keys would have been his. He would have come for a relatively cheaper fee and we would have been able to sell him with profit if it didn't work out because he was still young enough to have resale value because obviously they did make money off him selling him to Inter. But he made the decision to go to United and that's probably where we've seen him at his most unfit in terms of his diet, his just aesthetics on the pitch and how unloved he was after the first 15 to 20 games and people already saying he can't lace Greenwood's boots. Yeah, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. 
And I, I, I feel, I, I do feel for him in a way, but then at the same time, I don't because of his character. Um, I did, yeah, it's, it's just an interesting one. And I feel like it, it would be Chelsea. I don't think enough has been made about how bad that transfer has been, to be honest. Um, usually Chelsea get a lot of stick for their bad deals. I think this one is by far and away the worst, considering how it's just kind of planned out. You know what I mean? I don't think I've ever seen a transfer where a player has come and gone on loan for that much money and gone on loan the next season with that bad of a deal. Like it should really be up there with Coutinho for all-time worst transfers. Yeah, I think... I, 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 yeah, the Coutinho one's crazy, actually. You know the, what? You know what? Yeah. Crazy money, but the the Coutinho one was is high is the probably the worst in history because of the amount of money uh, involved. Yeah. But in terms of how quickly things went sour, you're looking at the only thing I can compare it to is when Barca broke the world transfer record and added Samueletto for Zlatan after one season he was done in terms of breakdown with the manager. Yeah. Um, that in terms, yeah. So it's it's like Zlatan versus Pep levels of um, the relationship turning sour, and even that you can be like, well, silver lining. Messi went became a false nine, and that gave um, kind of the foundations of Messi, the Messi um, that we know as the goat. With us, we 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 laid no foundations. We are just straddled with. Um, accounting gymnastics trying to balance him on the trying to balance his wages and transfer fee and um kind of turn it into a relative break-even situation from an accounting perspective so yeah it's 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 worse than the Zlatan um situation and it's up there in terms of how bad a transfer is with Coutinho to Barcelona yeah it's so bad I just you run out of words, really. I, I just, and I don't even know where we go from here. Um, yeah, he leaves. Yeah, I, I really do hope he leaves. I don't know if he goes to Saudi Arabia. He might just just sit on his big contract and say, you know what, fuck you guys. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna move on. But we'll see, man. It's gonna be interesting. Obviously, it's. Um, I kind of want to talk about the Liverpool game because it is coming thick and fast. Prem starts tomorrow, so. What do you think, or how would you kind of set up the the team for Liverpool? Because um, obviously, if Kepa, if the reports are to be true about Kepa, he may not be there. So Sanchez will be in goal. But how would you kind of construct the team against Liverpool? I feel like you'd have to just put rumours to one side <clears throat> and just go with the strongest team possible. And with how recently Sanchez has joined the squad, um, similar with Tyler Adams, I struggled to imagine how they would play significant parts in the starting eleven. Even though a DM is clearly needed, but I think we'll see an Enzo Andre Santos pivot potentially with um, Carney as a ten. I've seen a lot of people ask for Martin to be starting just uh, on the left hand side, just because the way he inverts inside. Um, Pochettino seems to like um, only one fullback to be bombing forward uh, and that is clearly chill of uh, his um, fitness. But honestly, I'd just kind of um, go as you mean, um, start as you mean to go on 
And with Liverpool, their midfield, there's a lot of questions to be asked around their midfield. And where in a as far as a defensive midfielder goes, we're in a much better position. We've got Tyler Adams in the door. We have Trev Chalabar who can do a job in midfield. We have Reese James who can also do a, mid, a job in midfield. Um, Bajetic, who was their holding midfield darling last season, is injured. Fabinho is no longer around. Thiago is injured. Who is going to play in that six for them? Yeah, certainly, yeah. certainly can't be Fabinho gone. Has Fabinho left? I'm pretty sure Fabinho's gone, but let me double check. Yeah, it's a oh, man. <laughs> it's crazy. It's actually crazy. I'm just it. Yeah, I, I, Liverpool aren't in a great position. Obviously, they they they're inquiring about you know about um, Caicedo, but I don't think they're going to get him. Um, and Caicedo has a clear preference to Chelsea. I just oh, man, Liverpool aren't in a good way. So you, you're probably right. I think. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think Chelsea are in a stronger position. However, that doesn't mean we're in a great position. So I think generally both teams aren't at their strongest. But what would be the team that you'd go with? Um, so let's start from the back. I'd go with. I'd actually go with Kepper in goal. Okay. Um, Reese James right back. Thiago Silva, Levi Colwell. Left back Ben Chilwell, double pivot of Andre Santos and Enzo Fernandez, Carney Chukwemeka in the ten. With mm, all right, I'm gonna go with Mudrick left wing and right wing, just because I don't think he's fully fit. Um, Noni is fully fit. I'm gonna go with Raheem Sterling, go for the tried and experienced guy, and through the middle Nicholas Jackson, obviously. Cool. Um, I, I I don't disagree with most of the picks. I think I I I'm I'm uh, so I, I do think that it's going to be um, Sanchez in goal. Um, I think Reese James, um, Thiago Silva, Levi Colwell, and I think I don't know why. I have a feeling that he's going to play Kukurea left back, um, but we'll see. I think Chua or Kukurea. Um, and then you've got a double pivot of Conor Gallagher, I think, if he's still around. Conor Gallagher and Enzo. And then you've got Carney Chukameka as the 10. Um, and then I think it will be Mudrick, um, Raheem Sterling and Jackson. And the reason why I say uh, it might be Kukurea is because, again, Chilwell does invade those similar spaces and regions for Mudrick. Um, and the reason why I say Gallagher is because Gallagher really has had a lot more preseason minutes than um, Andre Santos. Now I want it to be Andre Santos because I think he's a better player in terms of building up, but I think that Pochettino has a certain trust in Conor Gallagher. And to be honest, I think Conor Gallagher's performances in the last you know couple of games in preseason, more so the Dortmund game were relatively impressive. Um, wouldn't say great, but yeah, relatively impressive. So I do think that it will be Conor Gallagher getting a nod. I wouldn't be too upset by it. But yeah, uh, given how their midfield is constructed, uh, I'm not sure if it's... 
Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to be too much of an issue. Um, I do trust us to get the better of their midfield. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still quite quietly concerned about their attack. Diaz has looked really sharp in pre-season. Salah's obviously Salah. So, um, yeah, man, I'm, 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 the Nkunku thing has really hurt me because I think with Nkunku on the pitch, I'd, I'd be confident that he'd get a goal. Um, but with him, you know, out injured for such a long time, I'm trying to figure out a way up who's going to be the, the real goal-getters in the team. Um, what, what do you think? So, in, in, in terms of goals, now Nkunku's missing about nearly half of the season. Let's talk about goal predictions. Um, obviously, we've been very impressed by Nicholas Jackson this preseason. Um, what are you gonna ex- not expect, but what are you guessing from him in terms of goals? And we'll go through the rest of the attack after. But let's start with Jackson. In terms of number of goals or just goal contributions? N- number of goals, because he's a striker. I, I don't like talking about goal contributions. I want to talk. About, I think he's going to rack up assists, but let's talk about goals. 14, 14 goals, 14 Premier League goals. Okay. In, you know, what, 38 starts or 30-odd starts? What are, you, what are you saying? In about, yeah, in about 20, 25, 30 starts, yeah. Okay. That's actually a decent return. In 25 starts, that's that's a decent decent return. Um, all right. What about Raheem Sterling? Oh, Raheem. I'd be happy if Raheem hit double figures, but... I don't think he will this season. So I'm going to say nine goals or less this season because Mudrik will be chopping into his minutes, Mudrik and Madueke. Okay. And speaking of Mudrik, um, I'm expecting big things from him this season. Um, So what are you expecting numbers-wise from him? And let's talk about goal contributions for him as he's a winger. So goal contributions, let's talk. All right. 12 goals, eight assists. Wow. That's a big uplift. You you think he's going to be hitting his straps, numbers, goals-wise? Yeah, I feel like with the link-up with um, Nico Jackson, just the rejuvenated confidence of um, a really full pre-season, a clear system to work, to integrate himself within, I just feel like the foundations are laid for him to really blow and show he is dangerous. But... Those minute, so those goals um, are dependent on how he deals with low blocks. Yeah, I think I think with Mudrik, I think him in low blocks, I'm not really too concerned about in terms of overall production. Maybe goals, it might not come, but I think assists. I think he's going to be racking up quite a few assists this season for us. Um, I think his raw speed and ability, um, people are going to be wax in Liverpool by the end of the season um, if barring injury but yeah I think uh, Modric I'm expecting big things from him this season um, yeah I, I don't know I also think Enzo might actually pop up with a, a decent level of contributions this season um, because I, I I do have a feeling that he's going to be a little bit more advanced and I hope for his sake he's going to be a bit more advanced and further up the pitch um, so yeah I, I don't know in terms of Jackson my numbers for him, I would love for him to get about 16 to 17 Premier League goals. I think that would be amazing. I think if he gets to 17 goals in about 30 games, I think that would be really good for him. Really, really good. Because I know for sure he's going to be racking up assists because that's his kind of game, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, 17 Prem goals for Jackson would be really good. Um, a really good start for his first season in the Prem. 
Um, Raheem Sterling, I think he's going to play a lot more than people think. Um, not sure if I'm going to be happy about it, but he's going to play a lot more than people think. I think he could probably get 10 goals, um, given the way that we attack and given the way that Poch likes to play. I think with Modric... Um, yeah, Mudrick, I'm gonna I'm gonna say nine goals and ten to twelve assists. Um, yeah, just given what I've seen in preseason, his overall level of sharpness, and I think he is a pretty creative player, and he he likes to unlock. Um, yeah, that's what I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna be tracking it throughout the season, and we're gonna be doing like score updates and goal updates. So obviously, we've got no Europe for him to step pad in. So. You know, we'll, we'll see. You know, I think in all, all comps, all comps. If Jackson gets twenty in all comps, I'm a, I'm a happy camper, very very happy camper. Um, but I'm not going to go as far as to push the exact number from him. You know what I mean? Um, but finally, score predictions for the Liverpool game. Sat Stamford Bridge. Um, Timpson, give me a score prediction. Three one Chelsea. Rah. Okay. Confident. Confident. Um, I'm going to go two one Chelsea. I'm going to be a bit more. Bit more conservative, yeah. Two one Chelsea. Um, I'm gonna go Jackson and Mudrick goal scorers for us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go with that, but yeah, anyway, Timson, appreciate your time, bro. Um, this is Chesie Hour. We'll be back again next week, hopefully. By then, we've got three points on the board, a good emphatic win against Liverpool, no injuries, and yeah, man, I'll be Poch's, Poch's train starting to move. But yeah, anyway, catch you guys next week. Take it easy. Peace. Nice. Sports Social Podcast Network.